Welcome to EGN Leadership Conversations, the untold secrets of the C-suite. I will be speaking with industry leaders on hot and trending topics. Enjoy the podcast. Good afternoon and welcome to EGN Leadership Conversations. Today I have with me Malminderjit Singh. He's the CEO with the Speyside Group. Mal, a warm welcome to you. How are you today? Thank you, Nick. I'm well. Uh, how are you? Yes, I'm very good. Thanks. It's a Friday and looking forward to a good weekend. And what about yourself? Absolutely. Looking forward to the weekend. Uh, I've got travels coming up, so it's going to be a busy weekend for me. All right. Yeah, it's a busy year for many people. We are trying to make up for lost time with the pandemic. So enjoy the travel and enjoy life in the fast lane, Mal. You are with us today to talk about why companies need to relook at their corporate affairs strategies. Perhaps you can start by kicking us off here. What, what is the corporate affairs strategies? Sure. So corporate affairs uh, broadly are a function that many companies would have. Some would call it uh, different terms, you know, public affairs, communication, government relations, public policy. Basically, these are all different strands of what makes corporate affairs. If I put it in a very crude uh, and simplistic manner, it's actually stakeholder stakeholder relations. Uh, so how will companies uh, you know, manage and cultivate their different stakeholders? This could be investor relations, it could be media relations, it could be board uh, relations, and it could also be government uh, you know, relations as well. So it's a very broad spectrum. Um, and, and actually companies throughout the world have held and had these functions in their companies uh, you know, over time, uh, just called different ways and maybe approached in very different manners. Right. And what, according to you, will have changed then in the recent years? We're just coming out of a pandemic. There's wars going on. There's inflation. There's talks about recessions. How is the, this affecting then the corporate affairs? Well, for one, I think uh, corporate affairs has become a lot more important for companies. And you see that across the world where a lot of companies have elevated the corporate affairs position to a board level position. So today it is not un uncommon for companies to have their chief corporate affairs officers sit on uh, a board as, uh, as well because the inputs uh, from coming from a corporate affairs uh, person and function is uh, very important for strategic decision-making for any company or organization. So that is one. And that, as you say, has been, I think, uh, precipitated and accelerated by the uh, events in the recent years. Uh, you know, the supply chain crisis, the um, COVID-19 crisis, uh, as well as what's happening around the world in terms of whether you call it decoupling or de-risking, uh, you know, whatever term you give it, uh, the, the whole geopolitical nature of what's happening, I think have has made corporate affairs a lot more important. And last but not least, I think also the increased scrutiny that companies are facing these days because of new media, because of, uh, you know, increased uh, awareness on ESG and other such uh, social conscience uh, issues you see the spotlight shown a lot more on um, companies and therefore corporate affairs becomes a lot more strategic function. Right. And you mentioned before when we spoke today, Mal, that you will cover three parts today. Crisis communication was the first, fourth leadership, the second, and the third employee communication. Maybe you want to take us through each of the three. Sure. So before I do that, I also want to say that uh, today I think uh, – it is almost impossible to separate the different uh, functions and pillars of corporate affairs. In the past, 
I think you see consultancies such as myself, my, such as the one I'm in, and also companies having very different and distinct functions for public relations or communications, and then government relations and public policy. And they're very different work. But today, I think uh, the work has become increasingly intertwined between these functions. So it is almost impossible to do government relations or public policy work without having an element of communications and PR involved in it, and, and vice versa. Uh, and, and that's something that you know uh, we share very much with our team at Speyside as well, and something that we also point out to our clients. Uh, but going down to the three things that I think are important uh, and are current today's environment as far as corporate affairs are concerned. First, you're right, crisis. As I mentioned earlier, I mean, because uh, there's an increased spotlight shone on companies today, there's increased scrutiny, the likelihood that companies are going to run themselves into trouble or are going to face themselves in a difficult situation is a lot higher now than uh, they were before. Um, and that also means because of new media, these uh, you know news uh, cycles are going to stick, are going to be uh, viraled a lot faster and quicker uh, around the world than the traditional media in the past. So therefore, it's important for, client, for companies to look at crisis communications in a serious way. And as we always share with, with companies and with clients or whoever else we speak to that uh, the the big the cardinal mistake that a lot of companies make is they only look at crisis communications when they're actually faced with a crisis. That is the wrong thing to do. The work on crisis communication actually starts during peace times. I actually just said that this morning with another uh, prospective client as well, uh, you know, who had had I had helped uh, some years ago uh, with some crisis communications work. Uh, and I was telling them that, you know, look, actually, it's during these times when you are not facing a crisis, that's when you actually employ strategic communications to build up your capabilities, uh, to, actually, to, to strengthen yourself and to be in a strong position when a crisis does hit. Uh, you have to make sure that you have enough offensive strategies in place when you need to be on a, on a back foot defending. It's, it's just like a, a game of football, you know. You can't be defending all the time, right? You also need to attack as well. So you need to have enough offensive and defensive strategies. Offensive strategies comes in, in, in times of peace. So same thing for crisis communications. So that is something that I urge all companies out there and organizations out there and all decision makers in these organizations to think about very carefully. You need to put those crisis, uh, communications, strategic communication strategies in place early, early on. Second is about employee communications. Um, I think today, um, one, because um, you know of the recent layoffs we've seen across uh, several sectors, particularly in the tech industry, we've seen over the last six to seven, six to eight months, I think, uh, you know, a series of layoffs uh, across the tech industry. Some heavily reported, others, uh, you know, swept uh, or, or, or coming under the radar. These are issues that you need to look at very carefully because they can affect employee morale within a company and a company is as strong as, as its people are. So if your morale in your company is affected because of layoffs, then your employee communications needs to be on point. You need to put a lot of emphasis on employee communications. Now, about a year ago, I actually wrote a piece about this uh, you know, for an for a, a industry uh, magazine and I made the argument, and this is before you know we were in a in a situation where people are laying uh, uh, workers off. In fact, we were in a in a situation where the it was an employee market, 
And at that point in time, my point also was similar, but in that for companies to distinguish themselves in an employee market, you need to have strong employee communication strategies, not just for your present and current employees, but also for your potential and future employees. Because if your communication strategies are strong, uh, that's one of the things that really helps you attract talent. And today, I would say that's still the case, even though it's an employer market, because you also have to think about talent retention as well. And there is a lot of talent out there today floating around because of the layoffs. And in fact, it's a good time for companies that are able to sweep such talent up to say that you need to invest in these employee communication strategies to position yourself as an employer of choice so that companies, employees these days are a lot more savvy and a lot more particular about the type of companies they join. It's no longer a scenario where they just take the next, the next big thing or the next best thing that comes along. They actually are very particular and very savvy about that. So it's important, therefore, that companies place, place some emphasis on that. And that takes me to my third point, which is about thought leadership. Today, um, you know, the average consumer on the street no longer looks at a product as just a brand or a product. They want to look at the company behind the product. They want to look at the leaders behind the company, behind the product. So the values that the company espouses, the values that the company stands for, the values that the company advocates, fights for, and promotes are just as important as the quality and positioning of the product, if not more. Right. So today's today's uh, consumer is has heightened consciousness, and he or she is very particular about supporting the brands that stand for uh, the values that they they uh, you know uh, adhere to or they associate themselves with. So thought leadership becomes a lot more important. And I know that a lot of companies look at thought leadership as they look at CSR, which is a box they need to check. That, again, is a mistake. Thought leadership shouldn't be looked as a means of a marketing tool. Thought leadership is not to sell your product. Now, when I was in the media some years ago and I was uh, uh, responsible for and you know help, working on the commentary section of uh, a major news publication here in Singapore, uh, I often got uh, pitches by PR people and companies pitching thought leadership pieces to me. And quite often, the team and I would send these back to the companies or the PR people because the thought pieces would almost always be about selling the product. And it's not about, about putting forth a, 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 you know, a piece of fresh thinking or innovative thinking or advance a position, but it's about how they are couching their product. That is the wrong way in which to espouse thought leadership. Thought leadership is about advancing thought and really walking the talk, right? So if company A, y, ABC says, look, you know, um, I, I think that um, uh, net zero needs to be, uh, you know, pursued in such a manner, uh, then they need to really go out there and advance that thinking, you know, uh, and that's something that has to be reflected, not just in their corporate values and mission and, and, and vision, but also in their day-to-day -day operations in your actions as well, because people will catch you out. So if you're going to use thought leadership because it is sexy, because it is something that you think will tick a box and help sell your product, I think that is the wrong thing to do because very quickly people will catch you out. 
and people will say, look, you're not walking the talk. So it's be, be careful when you are going with thought leadership. Uh, don't be whimsical about it. Don't be frivolous about it because it could be very counterproductive to you and your brand. Yes, there's some great tips there indeed, thought leadership, especially now in the world of AI as well. It's easy to use the tools we have like ChatGPT and, and try to do thought leadership, which is perhaps plug and play, and there's no authenticity behind it. Uh, what do you think about that? Uh, Absolutely, Nick, you're right. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you talk about authenticity, because that's the most important thing. People want to see brands, companies, and leaders who are authentic. And that's not just for the business world that appear that, that applies to leaders around the world, you know, for all kinds of sectors or industries you're in. Uh, people today crave authenticity. And authenticity can be reflected and can be communicated or expressed and articulated through many ways. The most important thing is, of course, being sincere being true to your, your vision and the values that you espouse, but also about building uh, a narrative around it. And that's where the art of storytelling comes in very important because people associate with uh, you know, a story. People believe that you are sincere and authentic when you talk or advocate uh, about a, a value or a thought uh, using a storyline or using storytelling as an art and technique to talk about it because it appears then that it's not something you just picked up from, you know, the next uh, uh, business magazine you've read and, and you know, are just rattling off uh, at the top or it's not something your PR person has uh, briefed you 10 minutes before you go on a panel discussion and therefore you're just rattling off. But it's something that you truly believe in. It's something that you've drawn from your own experiences and your own, uh, you know, uh, values. Yes, absolutely. And I just want to check with you also today, Mal, about what about the budgets, the investments for this? Because budgets are quite tight now. Everyone is freezing budgets. People are worried about the recession being around the corner. How can we justify to senior management to then invest in a corporate affairs strategies? Yeah, I, I understand that. And that's something that, you know, you see with a lot of companies you talk to that, you know, uh, everyone's very mindful of bottom line, you know. Uh, I would say that investing in corporate affairs is, okay, so people use this term that, you know, it is not revenue generating function, right? That corporate affairs, whatever you call it in your company, is not a revenue generating function. And you see that as well. I mean, sadly, if you look at the recent layoffs by the tech sector, a lot of those layoffs were in, were in segments that were non-revenue generating. A lot of them were in policy or communications roles. It's important to know that corporate affairs will pay off. It may not be a direct uh, you know, impact on your revenue line, but indirectly it does pay off. So it's important to stay the course. It's important to know that uh, you know, there is an ROI attached to corporate affairs. You, you won't regret that. And if nothing else, look at it as a defensive strategy to when you do face a crisis. Right. There's some good tips there indeed. And it's better to be proactive rather than reactive. So some great messages from you today, Mal. Any final remark you want to leave today with the listeners? Well, I would say that, uh, you know, look at, at corporate affairs in a, in a different way uh, today. I mean, you know, a downturn is as good a time as any to uh, strengthen yourself and to come out stronger. And while you're relooking and restructuring your organization, uh, let not corporate affairs be a victim of that. In fact, see how you can leverage on corporate affairs to come out stronger from this downturn. 
Great. Thank you so much for all your insights today about corporate affairs strategies, Mal. And thanks to all the listeners as well. Have a great rest of the day. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to EGN Leadership Conversations, the untold secrets of the C-suite. To listen to more episodes, please visit our website on egnpnetwork.com slash podcast. Thank you.